Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives that we lead on our path to self-mastery. Today on the show, we have Brian Goldsack. Brian's a financial advisor and podcast host who also runs a martial arts studio that was gifted to him by a friend who committed suicide during the pandemic. Yeah, imagine mourning the loss of a friend and taking over their business for them. Brian and I discuss how this affected his relationships and, of course, his mindset. So listen close as he shares some beautiful insights and wisdom he's learned along his path, most notably within the past two years. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Brian. Thank you for joining the show. I'm so glad you're here. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me, Nick. How are you? I am great, man. I'm so excited that you're here. We had a great conversation recently. Uh, Brian and I recently connected and then found out sort of like six degrees of Kevin Bacon style that we're actually (laughs) part of the same group. Uh, We connected through LinkedIn. He had reached out and we started up conversation. I think it was through the podcast. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I saw Mm -hmm. that you have a podcast. Let's chat. And then through conversation, we realized that we both work with the same company that helps us with our podcast. Go Salescast. That's right. Go Salescast. That's free promotion for you, boys. We love you. So, Brian, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, why don't we just kick things off with, tell us one thing you do for a living and something that most people don't know about you. Sure. One thing that I do for a living. Let's see. So, I'm a financial advisor, uh, professionally, and a podcast host, as I also would say professionally. We're running a proper podcast, and uh, we have been doing so since June of 2021. And something people don't know about me is that uh, I run a martial arts school as well in in the town that I live in. So I've been ju- doing judo for many, many years. So on the weekends, I'm a sensei. Nice. So, I, yeah, I wouldn't just assume that somebody's a sensei. It's not like one of those things. You're like, hey, you know what? You kind of look like you're close to a ninja. You got a sensei vibe about you, yeah. <laughs> I kind of have a little sensei about your sensei. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. I like that one. Yeah, I've been doing judo for probably uh, 11 years, and um, my instructor passed away in 2020, and believe it or not, in his will, he willed me the name of the school, and I, I just picked it up and kept going with it. So, time out. Let's let's pick that apart a little bit. So you would you'd been there long enough that I guess you the guy kind of considered you part of his family or something. Had did you guys have conversations before that? Like, hey, just in case you die, like if somebody gives you a throat chop, uh, can I take over? Like, how did you guys get to that? Yeah, so I mean, I was a very loyal student for years and years and years, and I took the the martial art very seriously, and I would go kind of like above and beyond. I would train on the weekends with them and help him with seminars and whatnot. And he'd say, if anything ever happened to me, you know, would you want to keep this school going? And I always wanted to have a martial arts school. So I said, absolutely. But I didn't think he would go so fast. And one wow. day he passed and here I am keeping the torch going. Wow. That's got to be tough. Uh, it almost seems like um, if somebody dies, that's a partner in a business. And then they just like hand it over. But you weren't even a partner in it. You were just a student, and then next thing you know, you got the keys and you're running it. How did you handle, I would assume that person was a friend of yours, so how did you handle that loss and then stepping into a leadership role? Yeah, it was a terrible time in my life. It was during COVID, which was a terrible time in so many people's lives, just in general, living on Earth in the year 2020 was tough. Um, He ended up, unfortunately, taking his own life that year. Uh, he suffered from some pretty serious depression and being cooped up alone in quarantine for all those months really wore on him. And um, so I had to effectively cope with a good friend of mine taking his own life while simultaneously doing all of the arduous paperwork to make like an LLC and find the location for the business, so on and so forth, and reopen the judo school about... Mm, realistically, about a year after that, just because we were still on lockdown. Jeez. So was there any signs to any of that, or was it just kind of out of left field that he's just no longer here? 
it's like one of those things where you uh, did realize the signs after it already happened. Because sometimes there's people that are perhaps a bit negative just by their demeanor or a bit cynical or they're always anxious and stressed about things. Um, and you go, you know, that's just the way he is. You know, that's just the way Fred is. But then one day it became very real. Um, and uh, yeah, yes. So in retrospect, there were many signs, but kind of when you were just living with them, you didn't really notice it was happening. Sure. The hindsight being 2020, I'd imagine that's got to be super difficult to look back and go, oh my gosh, here it is. Um, here are people listening to this podcast that they've been close to suicide. Uh, I've been there. I, I know there are people that have lost people due to suicide. And I, I think it's always interesting for us to be able to look at those situations. And it's a reminder to us to, to be alive. You know, we are all, I think when we were little kids, we thought we were invincible. We could do whatever, you know, and you're totally good. You're going to live and everything's fine. But as you get older, you start to see different people kind of drop. And um, I, I'm sorry to hear about your friend. Uh, unfortunately, your friend wasn't the only one that did that uh, throughout COVID. So if you had to talk to somebody that was going through that situation now that lost somebody, what sort of tips or, you know, tricks would you give them to be able to manage their mindset in a tough situation like that? That lost somebody? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. For somebody that is contemplating suicide, I mean, it's one of those things where you say, seek out professional help, but most people kind of know that already. I really don't know what to say. Perhaps that may, maybe you can give some advice, but for the person and for the people that remain in light of a loved one committing suicide, uh, for me, Nick, if I'm being completely honest, I'm even getting like closed off now, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it, it took me a while to allow it to sink in. And I think for me, kind of being numb to it, was a defense mechanism. Some people, they'll allow themselves to feel the pain immediately. Um, oh God. He, um, he actually sent me, so after he passed away, the day after, I received a, a, a letter in the mail full of letters, and it was all letters that he wanted me to read to other people in his life. So... I had the judo school, I had the letters, so I had to read and call these people and break the news to them and read kind of like his last words. So the reason I say this is I, I had like a lot of responsibility in light of his passing that I think I didn't allow myself to feel afterwards because I didn't want to let him down and I felt like I had work to do in order to, to make sure that his wishes were met. However simultaneously while that terrible thing was happening many good things were happening in my life my business was taking off i have healthy happy children i moved to a new house but i wasn't happy i wasn't feeling any of the feelings that you would hope to feel when happy things were happening to you and later after much thinking and much prayer and reflection and studying I found out that if you're always putting up a wall to protect yourself from pain, that same wall protects you, uh, protects you from joy and from experiencing joy as well. So it took me a while to kind of melt that wall and feel the pain in order for the joy to also start to seep back into my life as well. So for your listeners that maybe did lose somebody, that if they're like me and put up a wall and they're just you know, being tough through it, um, just know that the same wall that protects you from sorrow also blocks out joy. And that's a powerful statement because a wall is a wall. Like no matter what, it's still a wall. I'm a very visual guy. So as I think about that, I almost think of like a cartoon brick wall, one of those big old brick walls that's just difficult to get through, but you can get around it. You can get over it. But that's still tough. I mean, 2020 wasn't too, too long ago. I would imagine it wasn't directly into 2020. Heck, we all went into uh, COVID or the quarantine, rather, what, March, April for some people. 
So it had to have been some time since then. So really, this is still kind of raw. You know, there are certain people I talk to that they're like, look, I'm still working through traumas that happened when I was a child. You're working through something that happened maybe a year ago, year and a half ago, you know, and being able to go through that. I want to kind of jump to a different side, same topic here, but ask a question that might be a little difficult. Uh, I like to think of things from different angles and think of different people that are listening to this that might have a thought that have been through a similar spot, but how did you handle this person taking, making a decision to take their own life and in some ways dumping these things onto you and saying, well, I can't do this. Now you have to. Mm. How did you handle that? Um, it was difficult work, but I also felt honored at the same time. Um, his daughter actually asked me the same question months and months and months after it happened. And I said, it was a lot like if your father gave me a farm and he said, Hey, Brian, I just gave you a farm in my will. And it's like 40 acres and there's sheep on it and apple trees and here you go here's a farm Mm -hmm. and on the surface you're like oh cool a farm but then you get there and you have to like shovel sheep excrement and (laughs) you know prune apple trees and you know there's coyote trying to eat your flock and you're like oh my god this is crazy i didn't sign up for this like this is a lot but every so often when you're sitting on that farm and the sun is setting on it and the sheep are happy, and you got fresh produce, and you're sitting there with your kids. It's beautiful, and you're, you see it as a blessing. So the inheritance of the judo school was a lot of work, but then when I see little kids come in that are learning a sport, or members of the community coming in to stay healthy, and then you're having little Christmas parties, and we're all hanging out, and you know, we're cracking jokes and we're having barbecues together and we're getting stronger together. I, I feel a lot of joy and I feel as if it were a blessing. There's only one way to be able to actually put that into words, what you just did, and that's through processing. If you didn't process it, you wouldn't have arrived at that space. So in this short period of time since it all happened, <clears throat> you then were gifted a school and you had to learn how to do all those things and kind of jump into that business. Now, here you are, you're able to have some memories and be able to look back. That's a beautiful space to be in where it seems like it's really at a, a space of gratitude to be able to say, well, here's what I have and to see the positive side of things. Let's take a jump back even further. The little Brian, where, where did that come from? Were you kind of raised in a uh, like a super positive atmosphere? Were you raised in a situation that was super tough, and you just kind of jumped to the opposite side of that? What did your uh, What did your upbringing look like? I mean, I was raised in uh, kind of like in a working class family. My mother was always an entrepreneur. Uh, she was a hairdresser, and now she's a baker. So my mother always had something going on where she was like creative and making money, usually with her hands. My father, when, when I was born, uh, was a subcontractor, but prior to that was a psychologist. So there was always this element of um, kind of like deeper reflection that I was raised in and like analysis of kind of like the emotions that I'm feeling and why am I thinking the way I'm thinking. That was always part of growing up. Like my dad was trained, he was like a psychoanalyst, so... You know, when you're like eight years old and you're like, daddy, I had a dream about, you know, uh, a volcano and a gorilla. He would sit you down and like peel it apart. <laughs> for like, <laughs> like um, The gorilla, though, it was just, can we talk about the gorilla? Yeah. He's like, no, let's get He's, into this. <laughs> yeah, be like, what color was the gorilla? And you're like, oh, God, what significance are you pulling from this Brownish? dream? But, yeah. <laughs> and he would have significance. And uh, one story I always like to tell about. Uh, my dad was, he was the type of guy that could just really um, make anybody feel very comfortable very quickly. And I remember one time I was sitting in the car with him, uh, like napping, and we pulled up to a toll in New York City. And I woke up for a split second and heard him paying the toll and begin to speak with 
the person working the toll. And I remember waking up about 15 minutes later and he was still talking to that lady and the lady, <laughs> the lady was like, yeah, and that's why, you know, I never really get along with my mom anymore. And I'm like, damn, how did he get this deep with this lady this fast? And how mad are the people behind us right yeah. now? <laughs> so I was raised in a household where we think a lot about our thoughts. And I was also raised in a creative household. And, um, I don't know. I, sometimes I think about gratitude and, um, honestly, I think, uh, you, you live one time, you want to have as much joy as humanly possible. So I try to align myself with a philosophy that's going to make me feel good. And I find that being gracious and being respectful and being kind and being joyful makes me feel better to be that way. So why would I choose to feel a way that doesn't make me feel that good? <laughs> so that's, I mean, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just kind of the way I am. Oh, totally. why, why be sad if you could be joyful? If you have the right choice, there. why would you pick the bad yeah. one? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right there. You've always got a black or a white choice, no matter what. You can be shitty about something or you can be excited about something. You can be positive or negative. So the fact that you came from a, an environment that really taught you about using your mind, going through your thoughts, and that you had a dad as a toddler, basically, <laughs> that was like, let's, let's think about all of this and peel it apart. I'd imagine there were times where you're like, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to understand do what we're talking about. No. What, what's going on? But I'm sure you also learned a lot years later when you can look back at it. I joke with people that I think we learn a lot from our parents, but we also learn a lot of what not to do from our parents. Love you, mom and dad. You know, there are certain things that happen that you go, huh, note to self, don't do that. And then there are other things you go where you go, damn, that's exactly how it's done. Yeah. I actually, I was speaking to a professor of mine. He was a literature professor, and I was voicing some frustrations I had about my dad. This was like maybe like 10 years ago. And he goes, yeah, Brian. You're, you're going to go through that. He goes, when you're little, you think your dad's amazing. When you get to your teenage years and to your mid-20s, you think your dad's an idiot. He goes, but then there's going to come a day where your parents are gone. And it's just you and you're a man alone in this world. And you think about what did your dad do to be able to put up with this suffering? And I wish that he was still here to share with me how he made it through this part of his life. So there was always a part of kind of my thinking that was like, your parents can be irritating for sure, but there's going to be a day where they're not here. So always try to love them and respect them and try to not sweat the small stuff with their shortcomings, because there's going to be a day where you're like, damn, I wish I just gave my mom a couple more hugs when she was here. Yeah. It's hard to realize that as a shitty kid, you know, or <laughs> sure. somebody in high school that's like, screw you, mom and dad, I'm going to go do whatever I want. Uh, I remember there was a time, I think I was about in my teens, like early teens or so, and my dad told me basically what you started off with. Like, you're going to go through these stages. You're going to be a teenager. You're going to think I'm an idiot. By the time you're 18, you're going to know I'm an idiot. And then by the time you're 21, you're going to be like, you know, Pop was right in certain ways, but fuck that guy. I still know all things yep. in the world. By the time you hit 25, <laughs> you're going to be like, wait, maybe you knew a couple things. And then by the time you reach 30, you're going to be like, yo, dude, my bad. I'm sorry. And each milestone, I had conversations with him, and he was like, told you, told you, told you. But how do you, it's so true. How do, you do that when you're a little kid and you're in the moment? We can't, but now you're a dad. So what does that look like for you to be able to empower your children, knowing what you know and what you've gone through? Mm. Mm. Well, it's um, when you become a dad, it really makes you think about the way you are. Because to your point, the, the way you parent your children has such a profound effect on the type of people that they become that it then makes you begin to question your philosophies. You want to make sure that you're setting your kids up to be successful. You want to make sure that you're setting your kids up to be joyful. You want to make sure that you're setting your kids up to have peace 
in their life and to, to be okay. So for me, when I, I mean, my children are only four, but the last four years of my life have been a perpetual state of self-analysis, questioning all of the things that I accepted as true to make sure that there's not some bullshit stuck in my brain <laughs> that is going to hurt them in some way. So hopefully I can refine that out to, to allow them to cope in this world. There's so much craziness in this world. Do you want them to have a good solid foundation while they're still with you to be able to survive. It's a solid point that, uh, you know, I've, I've heard different people say, I think everybody needs to take a test. Like you need to be able to take a test to pass that test, to have kids. And that might be part of that test to be able to actually go through and think about all the stuff. Um, I would imagine that's probably easier when you go to plan children, like, all right, so let's start this thing. Let's pop out a couple kids instead of being like, Oh, well we had a party and, um, Either way, we're going to have a kid in about uh, eight months, you know. Um, but being able to actually plan that stuff out, think it through. Uh, I think that's, look, and I don't have kids. I, I don't. I want kids at some point. Don't have any right now. But I couldn't imagine what life would have been like if I had a kid when my parents had me. And they were in their young 20s. So I remember growing up thinking like, you guys don't know what you're doing and whatever. And really, they did the best that they could because in some ways I was right. They had no fucking idea what they were doing, but they were doing everything they could to be able to do the best thing for the kid. Couldn't imagine having a kid at a younger age, but not knowing all the things that I know now. So for you to be able to kind of hyper-focus and go, I'm going to dig into all of this, and then your buddy takes his life, that's an immense amount. So kind of sidebar here, man. How are you doing? You all right? You doing okay? To be honest, uh... I mean, I, there's definitely suffering um, in my heart, but I, I guess to me, I never thought that there wasn't supposed to be suffering, if that makes sense. So I think I was always under the impression that there's just going to be a certain element of life where terrible, terrible, terrible things could happen at any time. I didn't expect, I mean, that wasn't the only thing that happened in 2020 to me. <laughs> my sister passed away from lung cancer. One of my buddies who um, was going to help me open the judo school died of COVID. Uh, his anniversary is coming up in about three days of his death. But there's a lot of wacky, uh, my grandmother died. So all of these crazy things happened to me. And, um, but the whole time I felt the pain. I allowed myself to feel the pain but I don't think I ever expected for life to not have pain. So I think for me, the reason I'm able to kind of cope and not go kooky is um, I kind of like, I don't know. I thought any, this could happen at any time. So when you're kind of like thinking to yourself, hey, there is going to be a, a few scoops of suffering in this life you feel okay about, not okay about it, but you can cope better with it when it happens. Yeah, that makes me think of um, the people that just say, well, this isn't fair. Life isn't fair. I wasn't supposed to be dealt this hand or what have you. And that almost looks like you're just looking backward instead of going, well, all right, here's what we got in front of us. How do we move along? And I think that's, yeah, that's a major point of the mindset, you know, to be able to figure out, like, here's where I'm at. What's going on? Uh, do you remember the movie Memento? No. I think it was the mid-2000s. This guy basically had like a goldfish mind where he would just remember for a couple seconds at a time. He had to be hyper aware because that's all he was. He was living in the moment. He was present. And I remember uh, there was one time where he was running and he came to and he was like, oh, shit. So I think I'm running after that guy. And he was like, oh, no, fuck, he's running after me. <laughs> then he turns around because he realized, but in that moment, it took him a couple seconds to be like, where am I? What's going on? Uh, and I'm moving along. But it's that awareness to be able to be in that moment that I think some people just get stuck in, well, I don't like how this thing worked out. And I really want to be upset about it. Like, look, you, you can be upset about it. You can talk to people. You can think through this stuff, but you've got to be able to get through it. And you've got to actually call out what's going on and be mindful of it. Uh, man, I didn't know that you've gone through as much stuff that you've gone through. That's an immense amount. And for you to be as positive as you are, 
uh, I think is a testament to what you've put in place with the process that you kind of have that you've gone through. Uh, we've scratched the surface a little bit of the processing that you've done because you've kind of given me the ends, like the bookends in a sense. This is what happened. These things happened. But in those moments where you were just not in a good headspace, how did you get yourself back? Wow. Great question. How did I get myself back? Well, I, I got very into my faith. Um, I started reading a lot about God, about spirituality, um, which always has helped me even prior to this, prior to all the 2020 stuff that was happening. Um, and what I tried to do was just really think, you know, I have a lot of blessings too. There was a lot of things that I had to be joyful for in my life. And I didn't want the sorrow and the circumstances that affected me in 2020 to have a negative impact on the happy parts of my life. I wanted to be able to, to accept the, the bad parts, feel the pain from the bad parts, but I also wanted to be in a good enough space to feel good about the good parts. So what I did was I, I started to get into my faith, and not just my faith, I started just reading about religion in general. I, I was reading this one book called The Tanya, where I was listening to a lecture on it, which is an Orthodox Judaism. I'm Christian, but I, I'll study anything, anything. And um, that helped me out a lot. I was listening to lectures on that. And then um, I started to get very creative. I started to get very creative. I started to try to express myself more and get into some of the goals that I had in life, which is what ultimately ended up leading to me starting a podcast with, with my co-host Chris Sykes. So the summer of 2021 was kind of like when things simmered down. And I was like, look, you only live once. Why don't I try this podcast thing that I've been talking about for years, but I never did it. And I linked up with my co-host Chris Sykes that summer. And if any if any <laughs> Chris Sykes, he's like a pit bull. You're like, if you say, Hey Chris, I was thinking about uh sailing as a hobby. Two weeks later, Chris Sykes will have a sailboat purchased and a captain and he'll be like, look, it's out on the docks right now. Let's go. And you're like, damn. All right, here we go. <laughs> so he's like, so Chris Sykes came into my life and, um, you know, we, uh, we started trying some stuff. We started taking some risks, trying to, you know, uh, leave the realm of the past and try to make the future super exciting. So now that you're in the podcast world, uh, it sounds like there's a lot of people that started the podcast, and I'm one of those where you've talked about it for a while, and you're like, I should do it, I should do it, I should do it. And then by the time you get into it, you realize, wow, this is a lot more fun, there's a lot of work, but this is a lot to, uh, to kind of digest, and we get to have these awesome conversations like you're having now. So you went through all of that, and then you're like, you know, it's about summertime. What do you say we just start up a podcast? I don't have enough stuff going on, so let's dive into that. <laughs> Yet, you and I had a conversation recently where you told me that you were right around 50 episodes, which is a giant milestone. A lot of podcasts never Thank get you. close to that because people get through a couple and go, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> like, this is yep. too much work. Yep. I don't want to deal with it. I don't know how to talk or whatever. But I think as you go on, I'm right around 10 episodes. Uh, at this point, by the time yours comes out, it'll be you know, a handful past that. And there's a lot of stuff that I've learned already through this. But for you to have to process through everything you had to process through and then to jump into a podcast, do you feel like some of that was uh, you seeking a bit of therapy? It's a great, great uh, observation. There could be an element to that for sure. I mean, really, the, the nature of the show is pondering the question, what does it actually mean to be successful? And... Both my co-host and I work in financial services, but we go into it with kind of a fine, well, we went into it with a very like finance driven kind of frame of, of mind. Uh, so the beginning of our show was almost exclusively interviewing very successful entrepreneurs and business owners and executives and attorneys. 
but the more we started going into the show, we started to realize that um, even like these top executives have their own version of what they view success to be. So then it started to shift. Now we have spiritual leaders on the show and people that are in nonprofit organizations and historians and psychologists and physiologists to try to get this whole mind, body, spirit approach to it. So I think the, the, the bad experiences I had got that question going in my mind as to like when you're on your deathbed, when you're sitting there and you, know, you are moments away from taking your last breath and you're reflecting upon your life, what's it really going to take for you to feel like you did a good job? That you can say, hey, mission accomplished. Is it financial? Will you sit down and say, my God, I wish my 401k was just a little bit bigger. Now I don't feel like I had a fulfilling life, right? Uh, is it spiritual? Is it family? Is it physical? Right? So we don't really have the answers, but the entire podcast is just trying to figure the answers out to have a more well-rounded philosophy on it. And I love that you have a platform for people to actually be able to get on and talk about that stuff. I'm going to jump out on a limb here, pretty thick limb, but I can almost guess that most people haven't thought about that. They don't think about that. We've heard so many times, well, you don't want to regret something on your deathbed. And people are like, oh, yeah, I won't. You know, I like what I do, blah, 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 blah. But I think in the back of their mind, they're like, fuck that. I'll think about that in the future. I'll let future me deal with that when they're lying on their deathbed. Because it's just too difficult to get to that. Now, obviously, with your show, you have people that have thought through that, hence the guests that you're able to talk through. But can you share some of the stuff that you guys have gone through and some of like the, the tips and tricks and maybe some of the patterns that you've kind of caught throughout these conversations? Sure. Um, I would say that a lot of the people that feel that they are living successful, fulfilling lives, are on the edge of where their creative minds are capable of going. Okay? If that, well, I'll explain what I mean, because it's kind Please. of a cryptic, vague statement. So there are plenty of people that always wonder, hey, if I really was doing what I wanted to do, I would start that business, or I would, you know, move out into the woods of Alaska and just try to live off the land, or... I would make that hot tub manufacturing plant, whatever, right? Like we all have these things that we're into. We all have our own interests. We all have our own desires. Our imagination goes to these places where, you know, if only if, if only if. I think I would feel happy if I were here. I think I would feel happy if I did this. So I feel like that's just part of the human condition, right? The, the people that have achieved success and feel fulfilled are the ones that tried it. <laughs> are the ones that actually said, I want to open up a hot tub manufacturing plant. So I'm going to open up a hot tub manufacturing plant. And it doesn't mean that it will always work, but sometimes they will end up hitting gold or through failure, find out what in fact they did want to do. But I think a lot of people kind of live like in this shell thinking about what if, what if, what if, what if never try any of the things and then later regret not even giving it a shot with one because they're afraid that they're going to fail. They were super successful, respect failure, um, try to prevent failure at all costs, but if failure happens, they view it as kind of like, you know, a learning experience. You hear that a lot, but really that is what I'm noticing with them. Yeah, you got to take those hits and then be able to <clears throat> just keep moving along. Uh, again, I think it goes back to the awareness of that. You know, the people that they just, uh, something happens and they go, well, that's it. I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to end up like this. This would just be shitty. And that's the way that goes. I almost think that's uh, kind of teeters on the line to the fixed and growth mindset. Because the people that have the growth mindset are looking in that direction to go, well, I expect that I'm going to get punched in the mouth every once in a while. I just hope that I don't lose any teeth, you know, and kind of keep going. Right. Um, right. other people just go, well, I got knocked out and I got knocked out. 
and they stay there. I often will pray that prayer to God where I'm like, stretch me. And that's one of those things where I'm like, this is just painful. And I'm like, I know that you're going to open up opportunities and I'm willing. So stretch me, go for it and slam mm-hmm. my face into the wall. But just don't break my nose. Like, just make me get the point and be able to understand where things are going. Uh, so I, I think if we have the right mindset, success can really be whatever we want it to be. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I was, um, something that you said reminded me of a conversation I was having with my cousin-in-law. Shout out to Joe Carloni. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so he, uh, the PhD material science engineer from Cornell. So he's like crazy brilliant. Pardon me then, Dr. Joe. (laughs) Dr. Joe, Dr. Carloni. Yes. I was like, you know, anytime I'm around somebody super smart, I just have to pick their brain on the thing they're super smart in because like, dude knows a lot about metal. Why am I going to talk to him about like, you know, Japanese politics? Like it's stupid, (laughs) right? So (laughs) I'm talking to him about metal and I was like, why did the Japanese fold their metal so much when they were making a sword? And he explained to me that, um, kind of like atoms when they're resting are very happy, just resting. They're very happy. Like iron atoms, they just want to be iron atoms. They don't want anything to happen. They just want to be what they are. But as things get heated up and you bend the metal and you slam it together with a mallet, it starts to excite the iron atoms and it starts to kind of create a little bit of chaos inside that little lump of metal that you have. And then if you bend it again, hold it again, it creates more chaos. It excites the iron atoms even more. And the more you bend and fold, bend and fold, the more chaotic the atomic structure of that lump becomes. And it could get to the point where it becomes so chaotic that anything it touches, it cuts through. Because it's just all these crazy chaotic atoms in a little bar. And that's how you make a strong, versatile sword. Okay? So when I was listening to him, I always try to gear things back into like, their applicability and sometimes like, you know, tie it into success. Right. And I thought, Hmm, how true is that? That sometimes through very chaotic, hot, crazy situations, almost some type of a refining process happens. And the more you can kind of just fold that into the way you're living, the more versatile and strong you become. So you need to be able to kind of throw yourself in the furnace and allow that refining to occur in order for you to be able to, to do some cool shit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. The refining process, the visual to that, I think of um, just being afraid to step into the fire. Being like, I know it's right there, but once we step in, it's really our power to be able to actually grow from it. Everybody's been through some shit. Everybody. I don't know anybody that hasn't been through something. I know people that hide it, you know, people that just think that they haven't been through shit. Because that wall's still there and they haven't gotten through it or processed through it. But man, that refining, I think back through, even the listeners right now, take a moment and think back through some of those tough situations that you've been through. If you hadn't gone through that situation, however terrible it was, you wouldn't be who you are now. You know, I think of people that have terrible, terrible things, rapes, murders, and all those things that are, affect them in certain ways. And they can start pointing fingers or they can actually do something with it. Um, and it can, be some, it can be weird to some people. I had a cousin that was uh, murdered when I was um, in high school. And oh my it, God. Was, it sucked, and it was especially it was twins. So the one held the other no. as he died. Um, no. And I remember saying to my mom, like, well, this is something for us to learn from. And it probably wasn't the right time to be able to say that because we're all just kind of hurting, you know, and we're at the wake and all that. But it hit me at an early age, and I'm not exactly sure where that came from, but I think that might be one of those just innate traits of looking at the positive side of things. And for those that don't have that innate trait, really wish there was a pill we could give you and go, hey, just look at the positive side of it. But I think you said it earlier. It's a choice, right? You can either be shitty or you can be happy. And that choice is really up to us. And first of all, I'm sorry for the fact that you had to live through that. And I'm a father of twins myself. So the way you just described that was heart wrenching. Um, but 
to your point, you have to think, you know, if they were still with us, how would they want you to cope with this? Would they want you to be in a prolonged state of suffering, mourning their death? Or would they prefer if you took that situation and grew from it and became better? I mean, if I passed away, I would want all the people that loved and cared about me to, of course, you know, mourn my death. I wouldn't want people doing a cartwheel when I die. Sure. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's dead. Great. But I wouldn't want that. Um, but uh, on that same note, I, I wouldn't want them to crumble from it either. I wouldn't want them to fall into a permanent state of depression that they were unable to get out of as like a homage to my death. I, I, I would not want them to be that way. And nor do I think any of our ones that we lost, nor would they want us to be that way. They'd want you to mourn them. You know, they, it's understandable, but not a permanent state. It's not good. Yeah, it's a good point, man. I'm sure if we think of the people that we've lost, <clears throat> if we think back to the conversations we've had with them, if you were to actually sit down, your mind's eye, have that conversation with that person, they would probably smack you upside your head, whoever it is. They're like, I'm gone. Right. What's wrong with you? Get the fuck out there. Go do this. Go do that. Uh, I highly doubt there are any people, even the people that have taken their lives that were sad. Um, I would still assume that they would have a bit of a, hey, but you can do better than I did instead of just, yeah, you should live here. That almost seems like it's a demonic thing. Maybe, maybe that's a different podcast uh, episode that we yeah. can go through. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't want, I mean, you wouldn't want to let that make you crumble. I, uh, I mean, if you end up growing from it, hell, you know, Make an amazing business and name a building after them so they live on forever. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that's, that's a homage. That's a real homage. You know, make the martial yeah, exactly. arts school in their name and, and make it a kick-ass martial arts school that, you know, is a pillar of the community. That is what they would want. They, they wouldn't want you to suffer. That's a good point. Like taking the baton and it's now your job to kind of run with that. It's a responsibility, but it's also an opportunity. Uh, well, man, it seems like you've done a lot of work and that you continue to do a lot of work. So when you think about the deep work that you're doing, what are you working through right now that just full honesty that you can say, look, I'm struggling a bit with this, but here's how I'm working on that. Yeah. Great question. Um, so much of my thought is going to, I mean, if I'm being honest with you, going to the podcast. I, I think that this forum and this media platform that you and I function in is, is almost like the digital equivalent of the Wild West, like a new frontier where people are making their claim and, you know, they're doing the homesteading act. You can put four stakes down wherever you want and make a farm there. You can mine for gold you can trap raccoons and make hats at them there's all it's like the uh, there's so much opportunity here and there's so much room for you to, to really get your voice out there and and be honest and create in a way that i don't think we really could have done like let's say if you and i had a tv show or something like that uh, yeah and i think that having that degree of freedom creates a certain degree of stress in my mind because when there's this blank palette where they say hey nick i'm giving you an easel paint on it you kind of go like oh my god what am i gonna paint on this damn mm -hmm. thing and like you're like should i draw a flower mm, i don't know i don't know if i like flowers that much should i draw like uh, a vase <laughs> right should i do a portrait of my mom right so there's a certain degree of uh, stress that I feel right now because I want the show to be something that is unique. I want the show to be something that can truly help people have a well-rounded philosophy on life. And one thing that my co-host always says to me is whatever ends up happening with this show, 
there is now a digital archive of some of your deepest thoughts available at the very least to your children. So if one day I end up passing away and my kids ever say, what the heck did my dad think? What would my father have said or done in this type of situation if I had to face adversity or if I wanted to start a business or if I wanted to be a spiritual leader, whatever? There's going to be like a little digital catalog there for all of my loved ones so they can always truly know who I am and what I stood for at the very least. So no matter what, I view it as a win-win, but I still feel a certain amount of stress because I'm like, come on, we got to rock this. Like, we got to make this something good. We got to make it awesome. Yeah. If you're going to do it, you got to do it right. Like, you can't half-ass it. You got to go in and do it. Um, and that can look different for everybody. I think I've mentioned this before on, on the podcast that there are certain people I talk to where they're like, look, I turn this thing on, I record, then I'm finished and I upload and I move along with life and that's totally great. And then there are other people that are like, this is a full production and people like you and I that actually join forces with certain companies to be able to help with some of that sort of stuff. And that's going through and using the resources to be able to help you. Um, the fact that there's a platform for us to be able to talk about the things that matter to us is important more than I think a lot of people understand because I think where social media wanted to go, and maybe it's still got time to get there, was to be able to be that documentation for people instead of just a positive bullshit board where people go, here's this thing that I want you to see, but I don't want to show you all the mess behind it. I was actually thinking about hmm. that earlier. I was recording... Uh, an episode, an upcoming episode, and doing some clips. And I thought, you know, the background looks great. But if you look at my desk, like there was so much shit on my desk and stuff all over the place. And I'm like, that's kind of an example of social media. Like, look at the background. At some point, I'll show all the shit on my desk. It's mainly just wires and guitar picks mm -hmm. and pens and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but I think in this sort of situation, we can actually be more authentic. We can be real. And we can talk about the stuff that actually matters to us. And I encourage anybody that's got any sort of podcast or show or anything that they're doing to just jam on the things that matter to you. But do not try to be a fucking bullshit artist and do the things that don't really matter to you because we can see it. You know, I think it's a matter of understanding what what your lane is and what you want that to look like. Man, I'm so excited that you've actually found the lane that you're rocking and rolling with outside of financial uh, and that this is a podcast that you think is actually benefiting people. The fact that you have some stress actually shows that you care about it because if you didn't and you were like, man, I don't really care. You know, we're, we have conversation and yeah, it is what it is. I would question that because you should actually care about what you put out there. Just like any company should care about what they put out there, content, product, whatever that is, you know, but it's got to be real gotta be real and in realness there's vulnerability isn't there nick mm -hmm. you know to be 100%. you to be really real to be really real in a public forum take some balls some um and uh you know you wonder if you have anything worth being said sometimes but how will yeah. you know unless you say it Exactly. And you wonder if people are going to care or if they're not going to care. And there are times where I hear things and I'm early in this game, um, not in the game of coaching and talking with people, but in the game of podcasts, where I hear from different people that are like, hey, I listened to this and this made me think of this thing. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but I went through this sort of situation. Wow. Like, there's stuff that's happening that's within my warm, you know, close group of friends that listen. And then people that are even outside of that, that are starting to be impacted, where some ways I think, how dare I not do this when there's so much opportunity out there to be able to help people? And it helps me at the same time, just like it sounds like it's doing for you. You know, if we think of the I, conversations, they're, they're important to be had, you know? I agree. And it also kind of makes you, like, if you're going to be talking about self-mastery, to your point, you want to make sure that you're always on the cutting edge of what it actually means to master yourself. So. As a responsible show host, you think to yourself, if I'm going to be talking about this, I need to study this. I need to make this my craft. And it's going to have a great effect on your life. I always think about that with success fundamentals. I was like, well, now I have to be successful because I'm not going to be like living <laughs> under a boardwalk somewhere talking to people about how to be successful. They're going to yeah. be like, 
Isn't that the guy that lives under a boardwalk? <laughs> He's not going to live in that guy troll. about being... Yeah. yeah exactly. Oh, man. So, but yeah, it is. it has been a great experience. It has been a great experience. Yeah, I think you're right with that. There, there's a bit of responsibility where we have to be on. We have to uh, be mindful of our stuff. But I think that's also maybe what led us. It sounds like there are at least people I've had conversation with that there are similarities to the paths of how we got to creating a show. We were like, well, I felt like I needed to do something like this. And I started to work on these things. And then I started to share them. And there's kind of that journey that you go through in that sense. and. I appreciate that we both have these, uh, these platforms to be able to talk about things. And you've been on mine. I'm excited to be on yours. I think we're booked in uh, maybe a month, month and a half, something like that. Calendar's just a little crazy right now. Um, but man, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, if you had to give one piece of advice to somebody that's on their path towards self-mastery, what would you give them? You know, I would go back to what we were saying earlier. You, you have... Uh... You have choices, right? You have choices about how you feel. You have choices about the things you do. Since you have choices, why don't you pick the thing that makes you happy? Why not choose to be joyful? So that would be my two cents. You have choices. Make the choice to have a joyful, happy life. Beautiful. Choose joy. Brian, appreciate being on the show today. Thank you very much for your time. Hey, it was a pleasure, Nick. Thank you for having me. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. The visual about being gifted a farm really hit home for me. Think about it. The dichotomy between pain and pleasure would be enormous. To be sad, thankful yet obligated and encouraged all at the same time. It's such a gift that comes with a payment plan of hard work. So how do you think you'd handle that situation? I'd love to hear your thoughts on the conversation today. So if you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. And if you really enjoyed the show today, please go ahead and share it with your friends. And check out the show notes for more info, contact info for Brian, and check out other episodes on the Mindset and selfmasteryshow.com, as well as our YouTube channel. Just search the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. We'll pop right up. And thank you again, Brian, for being on the show, for being honest, raw, and real with us. And thank you to you for joining us today. And remember, your mindset matters. And so do you.